gods of the theater, smile on us. You who sit up there, stern in judgment, smile on us. You who look down on actors, and who doesn't, bless this yearly festival and smile on us. We offer you some... Hello and welcome to episode eight of Thespis in the Green Room. I can't believe we can say episode eight. Isn't that incredible? Episode eight, wow. everybody. Oh, it's Bruce and Melanie here. Hello. Hello. So good to be back here on this kind of rainy evening talking about all things theater and what's happening in our local area. So what is happening, Bruce? What have you seen lately? But last night, I did have a chance to see a show that was called Stories I Can't Tell in Church, hmm. which was a it was a one-man show um, by Jim Dant. He is a minister with or a pastor with the Greenville First Baptist Church. And he has a real um, love for the LGBTQ community. And he wants to include them and see them be part of his church congregation. And he shared stories about how he's kind of done this and the interactions he's had with people on this journey to include these folks into his congregation. So, you know, it can be kind of controversial. And so mm -hmm. he's had conversations pro and negative with folks. And it was just really humorous, but also very warm and um, a really wonderful evening. It was had a great response. I mean, he had two shows and pretty much both of them were, you know, standing room only type of thing at the uh, Peace Center's Gunter Theater. So it was really kind of a, a really neat evening. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What about you, Melanie? What have you seen lately? Well, I was able to see the Spartanburg Little Theater shows that we talked about with Valerie Barnett. Oh, right. A couple yes. Of you see, and I wanted to see that. And I, I you know, life yeah. and all that. But yeah. you got to see it. So that's great. I did. So tell I us. It was Calendar Girls, right? Well, one of them. Okay. I saw Calendar Girls on Sunday at mm -hmm. their closing show, which was a matinee. All right. And it's a comedy, but it it did touch on some serious subjects, and it had some truly heartfelt moments. That's great. Yeah, I mean, moments. it's always great with a comedy. I mean, I love comedies anyway, but it's always nice when they have the heartfelt portions yeah. of the show, because everybody can typically relate, but then the comedy helps kind of break up some of that, so it's right. not just all this, you know... Um, Doom and gloom. Yeah, <laughs> serious yeah, exactly. stuff, you know, yeah. but yeah, that's excellent. And they did an excellent job navigating that illusion of nudity. It was right. Very tastefully Yes, we done. talked about the story before, <laughs> and um, with all these ladies that were yeah. coming together to put this calendar together, yeah. Right. <laughs> all right, very good. That's great. Okay. What and else? And on Thursday, I went to Broadway Barks, which was a concert to benefit the Hub City Animal Project. And that that was so much fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. The performances were wonderful. Uh -huh. The singers were great. The, the selections were a lot of fun in the show. But the highlight for me was <laughs> the lobby before the concert yes. because right. they had all these puppies and kittens and dogs and cats. That <laughs> and who homes. doesn't want to, you know, cuddle up with some puppies and kittens and all that kind of thing? Know, yeah, they were so cute, That's and I cool. wanted to take them all home. And how many did you take home? I didn't take. I couldn't take any. No, not in a position right now all to right. be able to take on that responsibility. Uh, no, okay. But hopefully one day soon yes. I'll be able to go adopt. I meant You'll have a fur baby of your I own. Would, I yeah. would love to have a fur baby of my own. <laughs> well, that's cool. And one of my favorites was Owen. Uh-huh. Owen was a poodle. Ooh. He was with the poodle rescue of Spartanburg. Right. And Owen needs a home, so... I can't take Owen home right now, but if you're out there, Owen is so cute. He's so <laughs> lovable. He's a shaggy poodle dog. That's great. Go get him. Well, sounds like a barking good time. 
We don't have any canine companions in today's episode. No. But I'm sure our guests would know how to build one for you. <laughs> we she had, could. Yes, she could. She can, she can build just about anything. We had a uh, wonderful conversation with Shannon Robert, a local artist, scenic designer, and university professor who has had a great impact locally and abroad in the world of theater. And so that's what we have today. All right. Well, let's have a listen. All righty. Welcome, Shannon Robert. We were going to interview in the studio, but being a busy professional that she is, she got called to a show that she's working on at Clemson University, so we're going to talk to her via Skype. Shannon Robert is an award-winning set designer whose work has been seen regionally, nationally, including on Broadway, and internationally. Shannon served as Associate Artistic Director and Scene Designer in Residence for the Warehouse Theater in Greenville, South Carolina. She received her MFA in Scene Design from Florida State University and is on the faculty at Clemson University's College of Architecture, Arts, and Humanities. Shannon is a proud member of USA 829. And we welcome you, Shannon, to Thespis in the Green Room. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Tell us, um, tell us a little bit about how you got started in theater. What, um, what drew you to theater? And can you tell us if you remember the first show that you worked on? Yes. So I started in theater because I was an aspiring actress. I, I just was drawn to the drama club in high school. I just couldn't get away from it. But I, you know, I always drew and painted, and I was interested in architecture and design and art. And so when I discovered that I could do both. I, I of course, did. Mm -hmm. I got my hands on everything I could uh, related to creating a physical world. I think I've probably, at some point or other, especially in my younger career, did a little bit of everything. Sure. Um, and so that kind of got my foot in the door and, you know, and hooked me. I, I did. I was hooked earlier from uh, from a very young age because I was so drawn into the worlds that I saw on stage that mm -hmm. I knew it was something I wanted to do. I just didn't know I could do it right. until I got to high school and there was a program available. Um, the first show I ever did, I was a green bean in <laughs> first grade. Um, we did this thing on eating healthy. And a green bean. Excellent. <laughs> That's so cool. I love that. Did they dress you up as a green bean? Green. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, my second appearance on stage, I was an angel in a Christmas thing that my, my mother got me in trouble because she put way too much glitter on my costume and I wasn't supposed to have glitter on my costume. <laughs> she went overboard. Oh, so, no. Um, yeah. There's, so some of your artistic abilities come maybe from your mom already. Is well, that maybe not. My mom kind of, she was digging the glitter and um, that is like <laughs> one of my big fat nose. Never say yes to glitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. I read at one point that you were bound for law school, but ran away to join the theater instead. How did that come about? How, and then well, how did you get into set design? 
I did take the LSAT and, um, you know, my dad, well, my dad mainly was pushing me a little bit more toward doing, um, something that he thought was reasonable, you know, get an MBA, <laughs> go to law school, do something where you won't starve. Right. Um, I mean, you know, judging by my, my dress size, I'm doing fine. I'm eating. <laughs> You're not starving, I, huh? <laughs> I, yeah, I can't imagine, um, working in a field that just, you know, isn't my calling. And I would, I would have been a terrible attorney. I can't even imagine working in the business world. I, I, this is where I need to be. Right. So I, I think I made the right call. My dad was irritated for a while, but he's fine now. <laughs> That's good. That's excellent. <laughs> Shannon, you and I have some Russians in common. I wanted, yes, to, I yeah. wanted to ask you about that. I did the summer program up in Boston with the Moscow Theater School, but you actually went to Moscow. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yes, um, I was actually there in 1991. Um, one of uh, J- Jim Thomas, uh, James Thomas, he, uh, he wrote a very popular book on directing that I think a lot of universities use for their directing classes, was um, at Florida State School of Theater when I was there. And um, Gil Lazier was there, and we had an exchange with the Moscow Art Theater uh, during the time that uh, Tevakov and Tarkhanov and Valery Leventhal were very involved. Um American Repertory Theater, Harvard, they, they had a program uh, also, and as did Yale. And uh, so Jim is now at Wayne State, and they are doing uh, the, the program that we had when we were at Florida State. But when I was there, um, we saw pretty much everything at the Moscow Art Theater at that time, and we were doing studio work. And I went as a scene designer, so I was uh, specifically doing studio work. but. It was a fascinating time to be there because it was it was in the middle of what was happening with Perestroika mm. and tanks stormed Red Square in 1991. Yeltsin was elected that time, mm. and um, it was a time of a lot of unrest. So when the tanks were storming Red Square, uh, right near the Kremlin and the Goon, uh, we and several other American students were brought over to the American Embassy, and we we came home. Mm. So wow. I didn't get to stay um, for as long. It, it was not that premature and exit, but you know we got to see some unrest, and it was really shocking to see that we were there. But you know, honestly, that's not the thing to talk about. The um, the art and the process was so fascinating at the time because they were changing their entire method of, uh, of process and development uh, in, in the world of putting a show together because prior to Perestroika, they could spend as much time as was necessary preparing a show. You know, if it wasn't ready to open, you didn't open it. Mm-hmm. And changing to um, a model that is, you know, based a little bit more in a capitalistic kind of uh, mindset and more of a commercial endeavor, they had to open the show as soon as they could. So they were, you know, relying more on ticket sales than they were on government uh, sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it, it was a big time for a lot of people uh, in turmoil and change in the, in the artistic world. And as um, one of my professors described it, it was a time for, a lot of creative discovery because they were making changes and it was, you know, forcing their hand. And sometimes when you do mix things up like that, it does really make for exciting art. So that was the time I was there, which was, I think, um, I was very fortunate to have been there 
all that time. Wow, that's incredible. Right. How so? How long were you there in total? Um, for much of the summer, I close to three months. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these life moments, the, these historical moments, experiencing them are just—they really influence how you view the world and thus your art going forward. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think if you don't have anything to bring to the table, if you're not paying attention to what goes on in the world around you, if you don't have an opinion, if you know, if you don't look at the world, if you don't study people. How can you tell a story? Exactly. You know? I mean, I, I just think that's such an important thing for an artist, uh, especially a collaborative theater artist. No matter what area of collaboration you bring, you you have to be able to tell a story and get into not just the heads of the characters, but understand the the perspective of the playwright, what was intended to happen, how that world needs to live, how is it relevant to our world. What are we trying to say with this show? Why this show now? And those are all things that I think are informed by paying attention to our world. Right. Absolutely. So we also have some muses in common, Janet, because I I worked front of house staff for Xanadu and Broadway. That was theater I worked at. Oh, and, that's so cool. Yeah. So when I read that you worked on, you did props, some props for that. Is that correct? Yeah, I was working with Spoon Group on... Uh, LLC and Rahway and David Zinn, who's a set designer, we we did the um, the phone booth. In fact, I have a picture of it in my my portfolio. So that was that it was designed obviously by Zinn, but uh, we fabricated that. And originally, the bottom dropped out. Cheyenne Jackson's right. uh, shoes, his skates were put on from that. And they made some changes, but end up asking some of the painting and some of the Mylar pieces. So yeah, that was one of the shows I worked on. That's incredible. I love that show. That was so much fun to work. And I saw it a lot because the audience sat on stage. So ushers had to sit yeah. with them sometimes. So that was, that was, was good time. Yeah. Great show. Great show. What else stands out for you as highlights? One of the most important things that I've done as an artist is uh, work with students. And, you know, I mean, they're our next generation and not, not I, I don't consider myself somebody who shapes their minds. I certainly don't do that. But what I think I do is, you know, show them what I did in my career, how things are changing, the mistakes I've made, that it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. You discover a lot through failure and, you know, we all we all have doubts as artists that mm-hmm. it's it's important to be vulnerable. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay not to have the right answer or to have an answer at all. Sometimes we have to explore the question. You know, I think my job is to help them to be resourceful. One of my biggest frustrations sometimes as a theater artist is when there's somebody in the room who does think they have all the answers or they have the only way in. And I think there's so many ways in to a story. There's so many ways to solve it. And I'm always fascinated by how other people might want to approach things. I may not want to do it that way, but I I, I think sometimes just listening to that, it teaches you and informs you. So teaching has been, uh, being at that table has been important for me as an artist. But um, as far as exciting endeavors, being able to travel uh, to places and and perform in places like Prague um, and Slovakia and Nairobi, has been very, and I don't want to say informative, but it's it's been game changing for me. Mm. In that, well, I, mean, I guess it, uh, to reiterate what I said before, that we don't always have the 
same way of our, our methodology is different. We don't have the same approaches, but also learning that we are very resource rich over here in the United States. And I think that our industry can be very wasteful. And one of the things I'm proud of in my work and the work that I'm doing with my students and my colleagues is that we are really working hard to be good stewards of the environment and think about what we're doing to keep things out of landfills and how we can be uh, how we can have more sustainable models by upcycling and recycling materials and sharing. And, and that's been an important thing for me in my career. I love that. I lo- and that also speaks to collaboration. You talked about collaboration earlier. That's another form of it that I think is absolutely crucial. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It really is. And, um, you know, I think uh, one of the things that I really pay attention to in communities when I work in different communities across the United States is how how theater groups work with other theater groups. And one of the things that I love about the Atlanta community, um, I can say the same thing about Cincinnati. Um, Chicago is very much the same, but Atlanta, I, I just recently uh, did a project there. And the, the artistic directors from different theaters work together to ensure that their artistic community is getting work. For instance, with their AEA actors, uh, they are you know, making sure that they're doing things like co-pros where the run is long enough for a show that is going to go into a second run in a different part of Atlanta and provide those actors with their health and pension for the year. So mm. they get, they're getting their health benefits, they're getting work, and the work isn't overlapping and in competition right. so that the actors can take multiple jobs and it keeps them in that town. So what it does is it makes for a better community. Mm-hmm. And yes. that is, I mean, gosh, that, that speaks volumes. And that's the kind of collaboration that I love to see instead of competition. Because quite frankly, when a community, an artistic community thrives, it thrives for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and competition sometimes is looked at in a silly way in small communities. And I do love to see that kind of collaboration. I think it's very important. Oh, and, and it's really neat to see that in a big city because you'd almost think that that wouldn't happen. You'd almost think it that it would, you'd almost think it, it would does, happen it more to. in a smaller you know, community than in a larger community. So it's just a sensible way to use your resources too. not, not just your physical resources, but your people. Yeah. Well, people, yeah. I mean, we have three things when we're putting anything together. We have money, we have time, and we have labor or people. Those are our three things. And you really have to, you have to have two to, at a strong, at a higher level to make a show work. And one of the things that I think that community is doing is really, really putting resources into people. They're They're putting money into the people there, which is important. The other thing that I love that they're doing as far as collaboration, so they're sharing scenery for these shows, the the same cast and the same production team, but then they're selling the set to uh, a a company that rents to high schools and community theaters. And Mm -hmm. so what they're doing is they're keeping all of that material out of the landfill. So they're keeping it in circulation. um, And which I think is really smart. Mm-hmm. I hate to see things get dumped into landfills. I really do. It makes me crazy. And yeah. it's such a it's such a waste, not just because of the landfill, but these artists have created this beautiful piece. Why just trash it at the end of the run if you if it can have a, an extended life beyond that show? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that 
That's amazing. That, that's good stuff. We should take some notes out of Atlanta's book, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I know you don't like to brag on yourself, but you recently won a Susan Bassey, didn't you? Yes. Um, Am I saying yeah, it right? Is it Susan Bassey or Bassey? Susie, yeah, Susie Bass Award. Yeah, Bass Award. Um, there we go. And, um, yeah, so uh, for Hunchback of Notre Dame, which, yeah. you know, I was really fortunate. I had such a good team of people, a great director, Justin Anderson, and that was produced by Aurora and Theatrical Outlet. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I mean, a designer is only as strong as the, the idea and the production values. I mean, I, I have done things in the past that I thought were going to live in a really great place, but they didn't land because the production values of that particular theater weren't as strong. And so mm-hmm. that team of that team of carpenters and the technical director, Landon Robinson, that was a, it was a good team. And so I was fortunate. That's excellent. That's excellent. And a great lighting designer. Ah, she's wonderful. You mentioned teaching and students before, and, and you've been on the faculty at Clemson for several years now. And the Clemson Players just opened a show tonight. I believe that's where you're at. Is that correct? Yeah. You're at Clemson? Yes, I'm at the theater right now. We are uh, opening Stop Kiss, which has been directed by, we, have, we invite a guest director uh, every once in a while, and Miranda Barnett mm-hmm. uh, directed this. And um, yes, and it's opening for audiences tonight. Super. How long is it running? It uh, runs through Sunday. Okay. So ample opportunity upstate. Get over to Clemson. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to teaching? I started teaching. I was in graduate school and then I was planning on, I had a job offer in Orlando and I was planning to go there. And then I got a call from a friend um, in Hattiesburg and they were looking for somebody who did what I do. So I went from the interview and I got my first job as a lecturer. And then I started moving up the ranks of faculty. And by the time I, le- I taught there and uh, did work for Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival, I was a freelance designer. I uh, became active in SETC and joined the board of SETC and the executive committee. By the time I left there, I was uh, chair of Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival for Region 4, and I moved to New York, and I had to step back at that point. But, you know, I, I really, I stumbled into my job. I, I wish, I tell my students all the time, I wish it was this easy, but I, I really did. I, I didn't know that that was what I was going to do. I was planning on uh, being a scenic artist and studying more and then being a freelance designer, and then I became... I became a faculty member and I loved it. And it was great to be around all of these very inspiring young people who kept me on my toes and asked a lot of questions that I had to answer. And so, you know, <laughs> I, um, I, I think I grew into it and I left higher education for several years. Then I came back to it when I uh, moved to this area and I didn't know that was going to happen either. So it was a very happy, I don't want to say accident, but a serendipitous mm. kind of thing that um, opened up for me, which I was very fortunate. And what do you see coming forward? What What's the next generation got for us? I'm thinking that what the industry is presenting, we're going to have a lot more people developing their own work, finding their own opportunities, uh, doing devised theater in groups. Uh, And I think we're going to see a lot more new play development and hearing other voices. And what I mean by that is... Just so much of the American canon has been written by, you know, quite frankly, old white men. I mean, they weren't necessarily old when they wrote it, but that's, you know, that's so much of 
at is what is out there. And we're starting to see an explosion of people who are coming to the industry from all different backgrounds, which I think is amazing. Uh, if you hear music in the back, that is our jazz band rehearsing right across the hall from my house. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of a nice little perk. But, you know, I, I think it's it's such a lovely thing that the that our industry and that the world wants to hear from and needs to, quite frankly, is exactly what we need we, in, in order for us to heal, to mend, to build bridges. We have to understand that our human condition is similar, culturally different, and we have different perspectives. But at the end of the day, there are universal things that we share, and those stories are are you know now available for all of us. So for so long, the market didn't invite, I guess, for lack of a better word, all voices to the table, and now we're getting more and more of it. Now, don't get me wrong; sometimes people still feel like they're not seated at the table, but there are some chairs that are being pulled out and there are some people who are, they know how to elbow their way in. And I'm so happy that that is happening. Yes. The diversity, it's definitely growing. It's been a marked change, I think. In what yeah, we're seeing. And it needs to continue because I mean, we need to be, we need to be representative of what our society is. And, and we know that doesn't always happen. And sometimes I think everybody at some point or another is guilty of not recognizing it or not hearing something they need to hear. And I love that the theater is opening its eyes to that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff on the horizon. Mm. So tell us, um, what projects do you have coming up? Well, okay, so this show's opening tonight. Right. I am doing The Cake. I just closed Newsies in Atlanta. Huh. And funny thing happened on the way to the forum in Cincinnati. I'm doing, um, with Salt Lake Acting Company, The Cake. And I'm thrilled about that. And with Warehouse Theater, Power of Sale. Okay. Uh, those are the next things I have coming up. Excellent. That's great. You did, uh, you were involved in The Cake at the Warehouse too, correct? I was. Yeah, all right. Yes. So now this gives you a chance to kind of envision it differently. I mean, what happens when you have that opportunity to, you know, redesign or design again uh, the, a show that you previously worked on for a different theater and a different space? What I love doing that when, you know, honestly, often when I get asked to do something again, it is because an artistic director saw something that I did or sometimes they want to buy a set that I was contracted to do from another theater. And that's happened to me. And that, that's actually how this one came to be. Uh-huh. I've done work with this particular company before and I was there uh, doing some new play development with one of their uh, playwright labs. And um, the artistic director asked me about the version of the cake that we did at Warehouse. Mm -hmm. um, And she said that she had been talking to Becca about doing the play and wanted to know if I might be interested in sharing and talking to the director about what we did to create the world. And so we had a meeting and then then they asked me if I might consider doing some adjustments uh, to that particular set. But they, they liked what we did. And so I'm going to be modifying it. So it's not something entirely different, but often when I do something that's completely different, like the Tempest that I did at Warehouse a couple of years ago, I've done that show now three times. Mm. I've done Macbeth 
more. And, you know, what I love is sitting at the table and then it's like, whoa, this is exciting because we didn't talk about any of this the first time I did it. So this is a great way to reimagine this world or to approach it from an entirely different place, which is so exciting about the work that we do. So you don't find yourself kind of stuck with your old ideas. You really are able to kind of break out from there and and come up with something fresh. You have to break Mm -hmm. out from it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I never marry my ideas because the second I do, I have a collaborator who comes up with a what if that is like, oh God, we have to honor that. Or something happens in rehearsal where we have to ditch a plan. Mm-hmm. And I think I need to keep it porous to see what the show wants to see. And what I, what I mean when I say that is in the rehearsal process, if I'm rigid and um, it's like, no, this is what we do. This is it's already in the shop. The process is kind of leaning towards something else or there's discovery that we need to address or if it's a new play that's being developed and we find that something isn't working I I need to be there with my thinking hat on and get ready for the creative process to inform me where it needs to go so that's great um, I, I I think exercising those muscles kind of teaches you that there's more than one way to look at something. Now, that being said, I have revisited things from the past. I think we all do that, mm-hmm. you know, especially when, you know, as a designer, sometimes you get stuck. I mean, it's like writer's block or you don't know how to solve a problem or how to meet it gracefully. Right. And sometimes when something has multiple problems that you're solving and there's a solution that you've done in the past that you know, served. Um, sometimes you do resort to, you know, it's like using a recipe that you you, you know works. Yeah. And people enjoyed it. It's not always the best way to go, but when it does work, sometimes it can allow you the time to really uh, focus on something else and come up with something that is going to be, you know, more of a featured. A moment in that particular show. I'm rambling. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I think great. that's great. I think. I think also, like you had mentioned previously. I mean, you're sitting down with an artistic team, and, and you're getting some of their vision that maybe you hadn't seen before, and that can also impact and influence, you know, how you decide to make those changes and adjustments. So I think that's great. I do. So now I've got something funny here. I, I hear you that you um that you're doing an excellent impression of a crying baby, and so we thought maybe we just kind of tie this all up with you giving us a little bit of a, a sample. <laughs> yes, I can. Okay, I'll do my baby cry. I do variations of it, but I'll just do the standard. Um, okay, ready? I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> there's like, and then there's angry baby but oh wait, let me do that one too okay okay <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's oh great that's I mean, like I, I need help and i probably do <laughs> That was amazing. Thank you so much for joining us for a few minutes. I know you're swamped and busy, but we appreciate you taking some time out and and sharing with us so we could share with listeners what you you do as a set designer and as a theater professional. We've had a, a really nice time sitting down chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to do this. I really appreciate it. I will touch you on the cheek. 
That was so kind of Shannon to take some time to talk to us. She is a very mm. busy lady. She's always on the go. As we heard, Atlanta, Cincinnati, Chicago, New York, sometimes Moscow, sometimes <laughs> during revolutions. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, She's she, everywhere. Yeah, she is. She really is. <laughs> you know, funny thing about Shannon, though, I love to read her Facebook post. She's probably going to, if she's listening to this, she's probably going, uh-oh, what's it going to say? Because she is, you know, as you, as you got from, from our talk, she's incredibly talented, won all sorts of awards. But let me tell you, she is just a, the real deal, a real person, just like all of us. <laughs> and she's forever locking her keys in the car, um, <laughs> cleaning up things that her dogs have chewed apart, um, walking all day with green things in her teeth, you know, all, <laughs> nobody's told her about. And she willingly and happily shares it all on Facebook, all her oh misadventures <laughs> with us. And I always get a kick out of her because it's just, oh. you know, she's just like everybody else. And she's just so, so sweet about it all. I but, love it. Well, and other adventures not to be missed. There are shows happening this weekend. See what I did there? Is that your segue? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh, just kind of roll with it. Uh, here we go. <laughs> all right. Another road in another show in Philly, Boston, or Baltimore. Now playing and show openings in the upstate of South Carolina this week of November 11th, 2018. Opening on Thursday, November 15th, Ryan George, a 19-year-old independent producer, is opening the 39 Steps on Thursday and running through Saturday, November 17th at the Yance Center for the Performing Arts in Fountain Inn. That's incredible. This Who is, is this kid? This is phenomenal. So this kid is... He just he wants to be a producer. He wants mm -hmm. to run a theater company, be a producer. So he's starting. He's starting young. Why not? And he's 19 years old, and he's been out of high school for a year. Wow. And he's pulled this show together. That's incredible. And it's all it's all youth, right? That are right. acting, it's, it's directing. It's friends, yeah, essentially, I, th excellent. I think. Yeah. He's gathered a lot of high school kids together to do this. They've been rehearsing in his parents' driveway and garage. <laughs> excellent. His parents have been really supportive and That's helped great. him out. One of the kids is a set designer. They've designed sets. They're putting this thing together. They're That's making it happen. Cool. That's I think cool. this is amazing. Yeah. This is really cool stuff. Go. Make stuff happen, people. That's right. Make make art. Just do it. Mm -hmm. Find a way and do it. Okay. So that's that one. And continuing their run on Thursday, November 15th, Walford College in Spartanburg presents the Danube and runs through Saturday, November 17th. Center Stage in Greenville continues One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and runs through Saturday, November 17th. Clemson Players at Clemson University open Stop Kiss this week and runs through Sunday, November 18th. Opening Friday, November 16th, Spartanburg Repertory Opera opens Snoopy the Musical and continues with additional performances on Saturday, November 17th. Dance Converse at Converse College in Spartanburg opens Charting the Future and continues with performances through Sunday, November 18th. Abbeville Opera House's production of Almost Maine continues its run Friday, November 16th through Saturday, November 17th. Check the theater websites for more information. And follow. Hello there, theater people. We hope you are enjoying spending time in the green room. Want to stay updated? Like and follow Thespis in the Green Room on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ThespisG. That's at sign ThespisG, T-H-E-S-P-I-S-G. 
Want to support Thespis in the Green Room? If you like what you're hearing and want to encourage us to continue conversations in the Green Room, you can become a patron of the show. Visit our Patreon page. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Thespis G. And donate today. No amount is too small and every little bit helps. Patrons will receive special content and audio extras through our Patreon page. Check it out at patreon.com slash thespisg. Good night and thank you, whoever. We are grateful you found her a spot on the sound radio. We'll think of you... Special thanks to Dick Stevens of Stevens Magic and Fun. He can be found on Facebook at Stevens Magic and Fun. Thespis would like to extend a big thank you to our fellow podcasters, Teddy and the Baseman, for their help and guidance. Listeners can find Teddy and the Baseman at teddyandthebaseman.podbean.com or through podcast players, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thespis in the Green Room is a Courageous Crossings production. Music used in this podcast is licensed by ASCAP and BMI. What comes next? You've been free. Well, that's all for us this time. Tune in next week for our Thanksgiving Day episode, where we'll give a full rundown on all the holiday shows coming up in the upstate. Yes, and as well as some tasty holiday recipes. What? No, <laughs> well, I think that's what we're do on these shows. You're supposed to give recipes because it's holiday time. <laughs> so we'll have some lovely cranberry dish that we'll probably talk about too. Okay, what do you think? So Thespis, huh? the cooking show coming up. <laughs> I think we should have a segment, don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll see. Anyway, nice. <laughs> being with you. Have a good evening. We'll see you later. Bye now. Bye. A one, two, three, four.